This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. We've seen record prices for both feed and malting barley over the past uh, three months. The drought that we faced this year is the worst in at least 33 years, maybe more. 80% of these barley samples that have been seen have 13% protein or higher. 80%. This week on the show, are you prepared to face the most challenging barley crop most of us have ever seen? Both prices and protein levels are off the charts. Are you ready? My name is Peter Watts. I'm the Managing Director with the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre here in Winnipeg. Hi, I'm Drew Sharp, Agriculture Manager for Prairie Malt, located in Bigger, Saskatchewan. Uh, my name is Matt Entz. I'm a farmer in Saskatchewan, Canada, and uh, we, we grow barley amongst other grains like wheat and canola and peas. And we also run a small craft malting facility called Maker's Malt. Peter, before we dive in, tell us a little bit about the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center. Is it fair to say that the CMBTC is sort of the Canadian version of the American Malting Barley Association, or is that not really accurate? It's not. That's not entirely accurate, John. We're a little different. The, uh, the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center was established about 20 years ago in the year 2000 as a way to promote Canadian malting barley in the international marketplace. Uh, and at that time, the uh, the grain industry and the, the uh, malting companies and brewing companies, uh, along with the farmers and breeders that set the CMBTC up, invested in pilot malting and brewing facilities. So we actually have a full-scale uh, pilot malting and, and micro-malting capacity here, as well as um, uh, micro and pilot-scale uh, brewing at the CMBTC. So we can test and evaluate the quality of, of Canadian malting barley um, here at our facility, uh, right from, you know, barley analysis, right through brewing. 
Back on episode 161, you told us that Canada typically produces four to five million tons of barley annually, of which two to two and a half million tons get selected for malting. How does that compare to what goes on in the U.S.? So just to, uh, a little correction there, we, we produce around four to five million tons of malting barley a year, about about 10 million tons of total barley. Um, but about half of that is malting varieties. And then typically in any given year, about half of that again would be uh, selected for malting. So somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three and a half million tons, depending on the year. Uh, so we're quite a bit bigger barley producer than the U.S. We produce about uh, three times as much barley um, as the U.S. But a lot of the malting, a lot of the barley in the U.S., the, the majority is malting barley. So uh, we produce a little more malting barley in Canada. But at the end of the day, uh, we actually select uh, more or less the same amount in Canada as would be selected and used each year in the U.S. for malting and brewing. About a week ago, Scott Heisel from AMBA posted an update on the 2021 U.S. barley production and stocks to the Master Brewers community, and the numbers were concerning. We'll link to Scott's post in the show notes, but let me rattle off a few highlights. Production was down 31% from last year. Average yield down 21.8% from last year, which I believe is the worst yield since 1989. Approximately 27% of planted acres went unharvested. And just for some perspective, I believe Scott mentioned in a previous post that this was shaping up to potentially be the lowest U.S. barley production since the year 1900. That 31% drop in barley production is said to be a result of hot and dry weather patterns during much of the growing season in many regions. Did the growing regions in Canada suffer from similar weather patterns? Uh, I'll defer to uh, the others to uh, to comment on this as well. But absolutely, we've suffered from very similar uh, dry, um, hot conditions uh, in 2021. One of the worst um, droughts that uh, the prairies have experienced uh, on record, and uh, and and as a result, small, smallest barley crop in Canada since uh, the late 60s, I believe. Without a doubt. So the like the drought that we faced this year is the worst in at least 33 years, maybe more. Um, if you look at weather uh, precipitation in the prairies from, let's say, September last year, so after last harvest to September this year, um, we see about four inches less rainfall, um, but from I guess normal through what we had through 2020 and most of that deficit in moisture would have really occurred from let's say May through July and and it would have been the most pronounced from kind of June to July talking with growers around Saskatchewan they've kind of told me in most cases they are anywhere from four three or four inches less rainfall in terms of precipitation on their farms and it's had a striking impact on on yields. Of course, plants need need rain to, to grow and thrive. Um, so I would say an average kind of like around the province. So prairie malt, we deal with growers throughout the province of Saskatchewan. And talking to growers, it's kind of three or four inches less than normal. Um, and it's causing, of course, uh, yield issues. It's causing some quality issues. Um, but we're doing the best that we can to kind of focus in on areas that did happen to catch rainstorms at uh, critical periods in barley growth and to purchase as much from those areas as possible. 
from a farmer's perspective, you know, the, the one thing that Drew said there that I think could use a little color for you guys in Virginia is that we might be three or four inches less than normal rain. And our normal total rain might be six, seven, eight inches. So it's not, you know, three to four out of 20. It's three to four out of six or seven or eight inches. So yeah. it's a massive amount of rain. And, uh, you know, anecdotally on our farm, I would say that it's probably a one in 50 year drought. Uh, I've on the same land, some of the same land as my dad and my grandfather. And we seeded through a couple of areas this year that we had never been able to seed through because they're perennial low areas. And uh, we were able to seed them and harvest them this year. So that's, you know, 50 plus years of, of uh, harvesting crops on that land. And that's never happened. I think it would be almost akin to some of the years in the dirty thirties. And uh, with our, the only difference being we have, quite a bit different farming practices uh so th that's helped a ton in terms of soil conservation moisture and uh erosion but uh yeah it's a it's a very significant drought and another thing to kind of give a little color is that the areas in the u.s that have trouble are usually in a similar weather weather pattern to us it's the the big barley growing states are montana north dakota uh states that basically butt right up against our our western plains where we grow all our barley so that that weather pattern is kind of hitting the main barley growing region of north america all in all when you look at u.s barley stocks it sounds like they're about 25 percent lower versus this time last year what are the practical implications of barley stocks dropping to those levels? How big of a problem is this? And what do the numbers look like in Canada? Well, the stocks similar to the U.S. are uh, in Canada are uh, at historical lows. Um, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada um, is estimating carryout stocks <clears throat> this year at around 700 and 50,000 tons. So that's very, very tight um, in, in Western Canada. And the practical implications are uh, very high prices. We've seen record prices for both feed and malting barley over the past uh, three months. Um, it also means that we will probably see very strong prices throughout 2021-22 uh, crop year. And, um, you know, looking to next year, it's going to be very important that we get some soil some moisture to replenish um, the moisture in the soil um, as we look to 2022, because we just don't have a lot of room um, for error next year in terms of production with this kind of tight, tight stocks. And uh, as a maltster, I'm sure Drew has an observation on that. Yeah. So, so I would say a, a much more comfortable place for us to be in terms of Canadian carryout stocks would be at about a million metric tons or, or over. So to see Stats Canada say 700,000, that's really short. And then that's just Stats Canada's estimate, depending on what analyst you follow or how you read the uh, production harvested acre estimates. You might think that that's a little bit different. It might be higher or lower, but to kind of rattle off some more stats can numbers, I think for the average yields we're projecting for Saskatchewan would be 35 bushels an acre. Uh, uh, that's for Saskatchewan, sorry. Uh, for Alberta, 49 and for Manitoba, 58. And Peter, you can correct me if you have any 
different numbers there, but that's extremely low, right? So the average barley, uh, the average bushel per acre yield you would expect is 70 bushel per acre. And in fact, among, I would say the top notch barley growers uh, who are dedicated malt barley growers, it's probably closer to 80. It's a little bit higher, at least that's what we'd see within our, our farmer direct uh, barley acres. So the carryout stocks are going to be much lower this year. We're going to see higher prices supported into 2022 crop, and we're going to see a lot of competition for acreage among barley and other commodities because you have to realize this drought was widespread in western canada so if you're a canola crusher or a wheat miller or a maltster your carryout stocks are going to be low so it's going to be high commodity prices for for at least another year which is great for farmers yeah it's from a farm side like i've got my my foot in both worlds right our farm is big enough that we sell into the commodity world and our malt house is small enough that we can kind of uh we don't have to do uh a lot of seeking out of 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 barley from other people but uh just to give it some some numbers again that are more anecdotal last year we averaged about 106 bushels an acre of malting barley and this year our malting barley was below 10 bushels an acre so we had ended up using it for green feed and so it's it's in it you know that's not going to be that significant everywhere but there certainly are places that were right down at you know uh, abandonment and uh and, and i think also what happens and and drew would obviously be a good person to ask about this but the selection criteria changes quite a bit so in in, in years where there's an abundant supply you can select fantastic malt barley across the board um in a year like this you're still stuck selecting you know however much you need to keep your facility running in a little craft facility like my own it's not a big deal because i actually saved enough 2020 barley that i won't be malting anything from 2021 but for the bigger bigger guys they're looking at things like thinner barley higher protein higher levels of chitting and a number of other factors that normally would would not be accepted are now into the malting stream. So it's, it's definitely a struggle all the way through that, that supply chain. I want to talk more about that because when you get to a year where you've got no choice but to work with barley that would have just been rejected for malting in previous years, what's the strategy? Walk us through that hierarchy of concessions. Do you start with, okay, I'm going to take higher protein barley that's otherwise in good shape, you know, or is it not that simple? What, how do you work your way through that process? So every single year, uh, when you have a tight selection year, it's going to be different based off what variables you're dealing with. Are you dealing with, so this year it was a drought. So we're dealing with thinner barley. It's going to be higher protein. In a year where you have quality issues due to rainfall at harvest or frost, it might be germination or pre-harvest uh, sprouting known as chit so but this year in particular um, the issue is drought so then it's the uh, malting and brewing issues that would be resulted from drought are higher protein and, and thinner kernels which of course would yield less extract in the brew house so so what do you do uh, first you kind of ratchet up you say okay what do i estimate the protein is going to be in saskatchewan in western canada what do i think the plump is going to be um, i want to select the most of the lowest protein and highest plump i can and also as a part of our 
kind of, I would say the agricultural side of our business is we have pockets of growers in different areas. So if I know that when I, I actually have a, a mini bad hand combine. So in July, late July, before harvest is happening, I'm driving out to growers in, you know, the eastern and northeastern parts of the province that I know have received uh, more than or closer to average rainfall. So you go out there with the mini hat hand hand combine, which is basically just like a a small uh, handheld combine. And you go out there, you take samples, you run protein and moisture, uh, chit, plump, you do all the kind of barley analysis and you say, okay, I've, I've looked at 20 different fields in this area. I think this is going to be the pocket of lower protein, higher plump barley. So let's buy as much from that region as, as possible. And you kind of do that around the province. But in general, for to more specifically answer your question, in a drought year, the hierarchy is, okay, protein and plump. That's where you're going to have to make concessions. And then if you can get a higher plump barley, you might also be able to accept a higher protein. But if you have high protein and low plump, then it becomes more difficult. So for the brewers who are listening to the podcast, I would very loosely equate the plump of your uh, barley kernel. That's kind of like the size of the kernel itself. And plumper barley kernels will be more full of starch. And of course, starch breaks down into alcohol or into simple sugars that will be converted by yeast to alcohol in the brew house. So you want a real plump barley because it's going to provide more extract. Protein does all the things that protein does, but if you have higher protein, it might be more difficult as a maltster to break down your kind of matrix of um, uh, proteins and uh, long-chain polysaccharides, beta-glucans, to get at those sweet, sweet starch molecules. From Yeah, and from a craft maltster side with protein, this is pretty much the same thing as Drew's saying, but just in a simpler way maybe, is that we find, first of all, one thing I've often told brewers is like, you have 100% of something in the kernel. If you have a higher percent of protein, you're really just you know, have a less percent of something else. And most of that is starch uh, of what's remaining there. And then the, the other thing that we find in our malt house is it's difficult, more difficult to hydrate fully throughout the whole kernel and to push that hydration up into the kernel. And uh, maybe a, that'll basically come through into a lot of the technical things that Drew was saying in the, in the brewery. And I guess the good news, uh, the only good news here is that you probably have less disease pressure when when there's not enough moisture to go around, right? That is the glorious silver lining to this year. Absolutely. 100, 110%. So we're going to have much less uh, Fusarium graminea, just Fusarium species, uh, and less potential for dawn in, in Canadian barley this year, which is great. However, I would say towards the end of, I think the beginning of September, Matt, Peter, jump in if, if I'm off there, but we did receive some rain, um, which was not opportune because that's when a lot of harvest was happening and there would have been uh, more chit as a result of that rainfall or pre, pre-harvest uh, germination. Yeah, I think it was... Third week of uh, August, wasn't it, uh, Matt, that uh, it started to rain and we had a good couple of weeks of, of rain when there was quite a bit of barley in the swath. So that's yeah. that's created yeah. some chitted, chitted barley. So that was sort of adding its insult to injury at that point. Yeah, it's just Murphy's Law, right? Like, <laughs> you haven't, haven't had rain all year and every cloud, you know, just kind of sails by and then you swath your barley and 
and it actually hits. But I think you it was for rain and you got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for us, for us on our farm, like I said before, we had bailed ours. So it didn't matter, but it was exactly the harvest window in Saskatchewan when it did rain. So it was, it was, yeah, it's one thing piled on another this year. That's for sure. I think I just learned the meaning where, where the expression bailed out comes from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think from the, certainly that the, the uh, pre-harvest sprouting or chitting that occurred at that time uh, reduced the supply of, of, you know, usable malting barley in Western Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, back to the protein, I think um, just to put it in perspective, based on anecdotal um, information from the malting and grain companies we've received here at the CMBTC, uh, over uh, 80% of these barley samples that have been seen have 13% protein or higher, 80%. So that only leaves 20% of your samples that have lower than 13% protein. Wow. Which is typically, you know, even high for uh, for mo- most malting and, and brewing companies. So it, it from a practical standpoint in uh, four or five months time and uh, Matt and Drew can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that what the industry in North America is going to be facing is um, really limited uh, supply of sort of what people would consider acceptable protein levels and going to have to work with uh, considerably higher protein levels than they've used in the past. And that's going to have, uh, that's going to present some challenges uh, for brewers this year. There's no question. I mean, I'd, I'd wager that the average craft brewer hasn't been in the industry long enough to have ever experienced anything like that before. I, I think there's no the way they have. have. No, that's right. No, not like this. That's right. It's a good opportunity to develop some uh, terroir oriented beers that are going to be very signature to the 2021 crop. <laughs> yeah, vintage, vintage, vintage beers. <laughs> I think hazy beers are going to be the name of the game. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right, for sure. Um, you know, the, for us, I've heard anecdotally an average, and it's not as statistically sound as Peter's, but creeping up to 14. And I, I don't doubt that because if you're seeing 80% of the samples above 13, on the wheat side, I mean, we had multiple samples that were 17 plus and that is on almost unheard of the way we farm uh because we're pushing yield but uh to to see like wheat samples in the 17 18s pretty much you could have a 14 percent average barley protein across the board and that's yeah that's very 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 different uh, i think think, than what people are used to i'm glad i got a mash mixer all those brewers out there that um have single infusion british style mash tons are going to be hating it (laughs) so in in terms of our selection i think we've seen from anywhere from 10 percent protein to 17.1 percent protein barley um so i don't think i've ever seen a sample of barley come in at 17.1 percent protein before that would be a, a first for me uh it was really interesting though to to watch barley develop through this extremely dry crop here like barley Malting barley wants to be beer really badly, so it has all these wonderful strategies to try and actually make that happen. So, sorry, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here. So I, I was talking to one farmer. I picked up a sample of barley from his house. It ended up being 16.7% uh, protein. But when we did the plump on it, 
we found that it was 93% plump, which is a really weird mix because usually when you see really high proteins, you see really, they're thin. Yeah, it's, it's really thin. But it was both high protein and plump. So you get talking to this farmer a little bit, and I've kind of seen its fields throughout the summer. And what had happened is the main stem um, was, was really short, uh, but it, it was left standing. So usually on barley, you have your main stem, and then you have these things called tillers, which are like secondary stems. So the main stem of this plant had survived. It had produced about four or five tillers. All of those had aborted. They had died off to conserve moisture. And then on that main stem, the top and the bottom of the uh, kernels on the, on the head, they had actually aborted too. So it was only kind of like a center band of kernels that had survived on that barley. And it, the plant had put absolutely everything into those just those few kernels. So we had both high protein and high plump, but as yields was like 20 bushels an acre. Very, very wow. low. But it was incredible. That's- it's, That's exactly what I was going to say, Drew. That sounds it sounds like, you know, your quality might not be too bad off of that field, but not a very good outcome for the farmer because you have to, at that point, you're giving up yield for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that what, what we've seen in terms of samples here is, is interesting and, and that aligns with what you're saying, Drew, is high protein, but relatively plump kernels. Um, so, and, and very good germination energy. So we have, um, this strange combination this year in terms of quality where the quality isn't too bad for certain parameters, um, and others not so good like protein, uh, test weight is a little bit, uh, on the lower side, but generally speaking, what we're seeing pretty, pretty plump, pretty plump kernel. So that explains a lot in terms of how that happened from your, your explanation. Well. Another interesting thing that you mentioned there, Drew, is that like the kernels had kind of you know died off from both directions, and I, I would say that we really saw that in our fields across the crops. That you know often you get the senescence from the bottom, uh, the drying down, yeah. but we certainly saw that hitting from the top side as well, whether it was barley or or other things like canola and whatnot, because we had such hot hot temperatures as well, and maybe we haven't said that yet, but there was a drought and then we also had a, a, a period right through our, you know, developmental stage that was exceptionally hot. Number of days, uh, I got to translate to a American here, but over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, certainly. And, uh, yeah. And hot winds too. So and like the, windy. the amount of convective, like heat blowing over those fields was enough to literally see it day-to-day change to, to the negative and it was i mean at that point we were still hanging in there as a farmer thinking you know if we get one more rain we might verge up to an average crop and over like a week period in that critical time for us 40 degrees celsius days with high winds it went from like we've got a chance to do something average to it's we're getting you know we're bailing this thing and it was unbelievable to watch wow. and, did, and didn't cool down at night either the way that it normally yeah. does in the summer it was staying very warm at night so that the crops just didn't have a chance coming up there's a whole host of potential issues that uh, brewers uh, may be challenged with this year 
probably just be dialing it in in time for a new crop next year. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation, which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base, while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet, refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. I hope you'll join me on Thursday, October 28th in Cleveland for a live version of Ask the Brewmasters. Panelists include soon-to-be Master Brewers President Andy Tavikram from Market Garden Breweries, Travis Audette from Anheuser-Busch InBev, and Vinny Chilurzo from Russian River. If you haven't already registered for the conference, use the link in the show notes to register now. I hope you'll join me in Cleveland Friday, October 29th for something really special. I'll be doing a live interview with fan favorite Joe Hertrick as he receives the Master Brewers Distinguished Life Service Award. Joe has been educating brewers and maltsters for more than 50 years, and I can't wait to give conference attendees a glimpse into Joe's lifetime of service. If you still haven't registered for the conference, do it now, and don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. District Georgia partners with the Georgia Craft Brewers Guild for a symposium November 1st in Atlanta. District Philly reclaims its old meeting spot at the Wyndham and Old City November 5th and 6th. I'm looking forward to the District Mid-Atlantic meeting the weekend of November 12th in Virginia Beach. Hope to see you there. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Back to the show.
It's really interesting how with when you look at hops, because the, the hop industry experienced some of the same, you know, uh, bouts of high temperature and, um, you know, prolonged too. And they, um, the different varieties really uh, reacted to that differently. I mean, there, there were some cases where some varieties really thrived in that environment. Some of the baby plants didn't, but uh, I think all in all, there was a lot of concern. And then uh, at, at the end of the harvest, there was a lot of relief that, hey, some, some of these actually, you know, did quite well uh, with with uh, with the heat. And again, there was less disease pressure and whatnot too. So um, it's kind of interesting. Did you see any substantial variation uh, within different barley varieties or did everything just kind of crumble under the heat? Well, one thing I would say, and I don't know for for a fact, but many hop farms have irrigation that I've been to. And I would say if our barley was irrigated, we would have been fine through that heat. It, it was the, the combination of no moisture left and, and that heat. Um, in terms of barley varieties, we always plant right on our farm, our, our variety trial. And so we had it, you know, directly in front of us probably five varieties this year and there was some variability but they all ended up unharvestable so not enough variability that it was functional i don't think okay yeah i think it's a little too early to tell on the varieties but certainly that's something we're going to be looking at um the cmbtc has 25 sites across the prairies in our western canadian field trials uh, with about 10 different uh, varieties. So it'll be very interesting to see how um, some of the newer varieties in particular fared uh, in these uh, really challenging conditions. Oh, I would say too that like, and I, I don't know, you know, if this is a fact more than a, more than a belief, but, but barley doesn't fare particularly well in dry conditions on our farm. And uh, everything struggled. But barley probably struggled at the highest level. And I, I don't know how it would rank, if there would be a ranking, you know, from the agronomic side, Drew, but certainly no, barley I, took it on the teeth. I, I, I think you're right. And I think barley barley's more of like a, you know, it's a, it's a summer crop, but it likes cool. It likes, it's a cool season crop. Like it likes summers, but it doesn't like to be really dry and it doesn't like to be really hot. And it got hammered with both things this year, which is, which is why we're here discussing it. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, you mentioned to me that the, um, the CMBTC is working to optimize processing, uh, to maximize performance of high protein barley. Talk about that. Yeah, well, as uh, um, Drew was mentioning earlier, and, and Matt, the you know um, the impact of uh, of the quality, particular protein this year, um, and and the and the size of the kernels uh, are going to present some challenges for maltsters and brewers. So, you know, what can a what can a maltster, for example, do um, to produce a malt that's going to uh, perform? Uh, as well as possible under the circumstances in the brewery. So are there certain things um, that can be done in the malting process? Um, the steeping is going to be a critical uh, component in terms of water uptake uh, with this year's crop um, so that you can dial in that modification. Maybe you want, um, you know, this year with the high protein, maybe we want to under-modify the malt a little bit um, in order to make it perform uh, in the brew house. On the brewing side, maybe there's uh, adjustments to the mash profile uh, that can be made to ensure, you know, the, the best possible um, 
you know, extraction and uh, attenuation levels. Um, you know, I think there's, it's, it's, we don't have to deal with this kind of a situation very often. The last time uh, we dealt with it here in Western Canada was almost 20 years ago, 2002. So um, this is going to be a pretty unique challenge. So we're just going to give it a shot. We're going to run some high process protein samples in that sort of 14 to 16% range uh, through the facilities here and do some troubleshooting and, and see what we come up with. All right, let us know if you come up with any magic bullets. Um, can uh, On that note, can, can brewers expect maltsters to hold their hands as we start to work our way through the 2021 crop, or do they need to just pay close attention to their COAs and develop their own strategies? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I I would say we would. I will hold your hand, but but my customer base is pretty small. I mean, uh, <laughs> we're we're a, we're a craft malting facility, right? And so I find that my customers have different capabilities in terms of understanding a COA and working backwards from there. And so you know, when you when you get in touch with us, you're getting in touch with the people that that grew it and malted it. And uh, we do test brewing with it as well. So uh, certainly we would hold, you know, we would hold hands and try to figure out how to, how to make this work. And, and it kind of answering your question about what might happen in our malt house with this higher protein content barley is uh, like, we've done some malting of hard red spring wheat that has 17% protein as a, you know, a special, specialty malt here that we do and i think the biggest thing that we can do when working with higher protein stuff is is really work hard at the steeping phase of the of the process so malting's you know steeping germination kilning steeping is where you really push hydration into the kernel and i feel like with higher protein stuff that is the critical phase and you know maybe we even have to do four short steeps and other things that would be atypical but but that's that's where we would do it we're always malting single batch or single malt batches so it all comes from the same field and the same spot and uh i don't know you know if if drew or the bigger guys would would do lots of blending to try to work around these types of things but maybe maybe drew would be able to talk about that side of it so the the main thing for us is we we blend on the malt side not never on the barley side because we want to make the most homogenous malt possible so when we bring in barley we want all of the barley specs to be as similar as possible to make the most homogenous malt now so like at prairie malt our our senior maltster has been there for 30 plus years like almost as long as i've almost as long as i've been alive if not longer so he has some really good experience with dealing with higher protein years this is not the first they've seen so beyond that we also have our regional technical manager and our craft sales team uh, in the states and technical people uh, have been informed throughout the crop year that we're probably going to be having a uh, a, a higher protein and thinner year coming so they've been letting customers know and if any brewers do need um, advice with how to deal with the coas they're seeing we just welcome them to reach out to the craft team reach out to the, the technical team and we'll do we'll do what we can to to assist you of course now and i don't know because I'm, I'm much more on the agricultural side of the business but i don't know peter like so 
we're going to see a higher protein and a higher and a thinner year than than usual. So in terms of a COA, we're going to see probably higher enzyme levels, higher DP, higher fan, higher beta glucans, lower extract, um, higher color. I'm I'm not sure what else to kind of yeah. put out there for brewers I, to brew themselves I, on. I think those are the major things, Drew, and I think you you, you nailed it. Um, I mean, the extract is going to be really critical. Um, certainly, color is going to be a challenge for um, for the bigger uh, brewers in particular. I would say, uh, for whom color is particularly important, may even have some flavor uh, implications with the higher protein, and then um, you know uh, issues with. Uh, haze you know turbidity um and then shelf life even potential for problems with shelf life stability so uh, there's a whole host of potential issues that uh, brewers uh, may be challenged with this year um and um so uh it's going to take a little bit of uh trial and error i think initially uh for for people to get it right they'll probably just be dialing it in in time for a new crop next year (laughs) (laughs) okay um Talk about how you all view the need for diversification of growing regions and of barley itself. Do we need to be growing more winter barley and building malt houses in the mid-Atlantic near me, breeding varieties that are more resilient during harsh growing conditions, or do we need to just accept that from time to time there's going to be challenging years? That's a good Well, that's, that's interesting to think about, and it's like... How do I answer that? Because I got, I got three different hats on Sask Barley. <laughs> I got four Western Canadian farmer, Western Canadian craft maltster, and I'm on the board of the of the North American Craft Maltsters Guild too. So maybe I better just let Peter and Drew talk. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's a great question, John. You know, in Canada, uh, we produce 95% of the barley in Western Canada. Um, in, uh, you know, Saskatchewan, Alberta are the two big powerhouse bar- barley producers, uh, followed by Manitoba. And, uh, the, uh, you know, and then uh, Ontario, uh, Quebec, the Maritimes, and British Columbia are quite small producers. Um, it's the same situation in the U.S. The vast majority of the barley is grown in four or five states, um, you know, including North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, um, and Minnesota, and probably, I guess, a little bit, uh, maybe some in Washington and and further south. But uh, absolutely, and for example, in Ontario, um, uh, barley can be grown. There's challenges. Uh, malting barley has challenges there, typically with the weather um, and disease. But if we had better uh, varieties for uh, Eastern Canada, there's no reason why there couldn't be a, a, a substantial uh, barley. Uh, uh, production in in uh, both ontario and quebec um even in bc it could be could be a bigger production so i would suspect that's true uh of the u.s where the midwest um and even further south and east um more more barley could be grown but really the challenge i think over the years has been um having varieties that are suitable that have the disease resistance um because of the different you know it tends to be more humid climate it's fusarium john that would be my no- my number one statement on this is that fusarium is killer on the east coast and uh if you want to you know grow barley like we we do in in the dry land areas of western canada the northern us plains you got to figure fusarium out and fusarium 
follows corn and it follows humidity. And uh, so you have your work cut out for you. But I think also, I think also Matt, then, that um, <clears throat> the barley breeding programs um, in Canada anyway really have been focused on the prairies. And, uh, you know, it, it raises a good point um, with a year like this as to, you know, we probably need more investment in uh, uh, breeding programs in some of the other areas of the country. So, yeah, I think you're – oh, everyone's – it's a good question, all good point. This is just a fun – part of the com- it's all been a fun conversation this is a really good question so i think from a very macro lens so this year is going to be a different this year has been a difficult year for farmers this year will be a difficult year for maltsters and it will be a difficult year for brewers it's good it's difficult for everyone in the agricultural supply chain certainly now that being said this is kind of a so this is maybe the worst drought in 33 plus years depending on where you are and how you look at it so i agree that we could extend some breeding efforts to other parts of the country um however you know so western canada we are really well suited to produce barley that's why we do it we have throughout time uh specialized in in barley production because it's it's native to the place. Like we just do it so well here. So uh, two things, I think that, yes, um, we should be looking at developing, you know, in, increasing um, our barley tolerance to, to drought while maintaining a focus on yield and disease resistance and quality. Um, but as breeding becomes more sophisticated, I think we will see in some kind of natural improvement to that. And then, yeah, like maybe there could be some fit for some, you know, smaller malt varieties that would be better suited to the East Coast that have high fusarium uh, resistance. But in breeding, there's always trade-offs. If so, if you're going to get high fusarium resistance, there's, it's like you can't get something for nothing. There's likely something else that's going to, you know, you're probably going to have greatly reduced yields or something else. So it's challenging. And then the last piece is there's also a limited amount of dollars to be spent on barley breeding. So I do like the idea of having more barley produced out east, but that it's a zero sum thing. If money goes towards that, it's probably not going somewhere else. Uh, so it's, I don't know, if you ask me at a different time, I'd probably have a totally different answer, but that's what I'm answering with right now. Cool. I like it. I, yeah, I think too, like another thing that didn't get discussed is like the, the infrastructure doesn't exist. And that goes back to many small grains in the, in the Midwest and the East, you know, they, they're just not really doing a lot of them. And, uh, you could kind of go go take that through the universities, the breeder programs, um, through the farming expertise. I mean, that's another thing that that is difficult, you know, with my craft maltster guild hat is that people have to go out and if they want to do like a, a state brewery and they want to do a state malt house and, and get something malted in New York State, for instance, they have to find someone there that's willing to try to grow malt barley. And there's a good chance that they haven't done that before. Uh, and you're kind of like comparing that to like, you know, a farm like ours where there's 50 years of growing malt barley experience in an area suited to it. You know, it's very difficult to, to make those things 
to, to equate those things. It's not a, a few year process. I, I totally agree with that. It, where I, um, the brewery where I work, everything I brew is with a state grown barley. And um, like I said, we're in the mid Atlantic. So uh, we're growing uh, Violetta here, which is a, a two row winter barley. And, um, you know, we've had pretty good results, but I, I think the handicap has really been what you said, just, you know, we lack that generational knowledge of, of, of growing barley. Right. And so, um, you know, we're, we probably make a lot of mistakes that, you know, you guys wouldn't make. So, um, it's been really interesting, but I, I, am curious about that specific, um, uh, your opinion on that specific issue. I, I don't know, but I assume most of the barley you guys are talking about in Canada is spring barley. Are, are, is there any winter barley production or no? No, no. Ne- negligible. And do you think that that is an area that might be worth um, considering from a diversification standpoint? Because, um, you know, if you can spread that growing season out over a longer period of time and let the plant get, you know, more established, uh, you know, uh, during the winter months, uh, you know, doesn't that have some significant advantages to you? So, yes, but the, the issue there is cold tolerance. Like we've can try to do winter barley, but it usually doesn't survive. So the reason it's not common is because it 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 can't be done well. Now that doesn't mean to, not meaning to say that we couldn't put more effort into breeding winter barley. And winter barley is actually a super interesting and exciting do, uh, domain. Like winter barley does have a number of of benefits. So it might also if if you grew winter barley hypothetically and it worked out well, you might also um, avoid to some extent a lot of the uh, fusarium pressures that you'd be facing in July with spring barley. So there are some potential benefits, but we just we've never been able to do it well here because it's too cold. It's too, is there, too cold. Is there anybody? Uh, is there are there any breeding efforts focused on you know increasing winter winter hardiness and you know any particular winter varieties that might might work for you? I think there might be some uh, a little bit of winter barley breeding going on in eastern Canada. I don't think there's any uh, currently in western Canada, and probably the place where winter barley uh, might you know uh, might might be attempted in a little bit more <clears throat> a greater endeavor would be eastern Canada in Ontario, for example, or, or Quebec, where you don't have those really cold. Uh, winter temperatures that that um, that Drew is referring to. So, um, yeah, it hasn't really taken off in um, in Canada uh, at this point. But uh, m- maybe Eastern Canada might be an area where, um, with that fusarium pressure in the later summer, if you could have a a, a barley variety that was harvested earlier, that that could be very um, have a lot of potential. Cool, John. I think you're talking to the uh, unofficial. But social media confirmed coldest malt house in the world here today. <laughs> and uh, we get down every winter. We'll have some days that are minus 40 Celsius. And minus 40 is easy for Americans because it's the same number in Fahrenheit. So minus 40 Celsius is minus 40 Fahrenheit. And we will get down to that for sure some days every winter. And I know the, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the, the Field Crop Development Center, Peter, but they did a lot of cold tolerance and hardiness trials to just see if there was some varieties out there they could use for breeding stock that would survive and their survivability just wasn't high enough. Yeah, that makes sense. That's pretty cold. 
I think uh, another consideration, just backing up a little bit um, with respect to barley production in Canada in general, um, and as Drew and Matt pointed out, you know, the infrastructure that's been built up in Western Canada for barley, for, for malting barley, uh, is uh, it's important in terms of the, uh, the, the knowledge and history for growers, um, for the grain industry and malting industry that selects and uh, processes and, and and exports the grain. One thing just to remember is that uh, Western Canada is very export dependent. So we're very different from the U.S. in that way in terms of uh, our malting barley industry because about half or more of all the malting barley that's uh, selected each year in Western Canada is exported to uh, offshore markets. So it's really a bulk uh, handling system for malting barley, which is quite unique. Um, we, uh, you know, have elevators um, that are dedicated to sourcing and moving malting barley to the west coast of Canada, where it's loaded on boats between 10 and um, 66,000 ton boats uh, for export offshore. And that takes a lot of sophistication to get a, um, you know, malting barley from uh, central Saskatchewan all the way to the west coast, loaded on a boat and delivered to a malt plant in China with uh, 95% germination or above. Um, so it's a little very different in, in Western Canada in terms of our structures. That was Peter Watts, Matt Enns, and Drew Sharp here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you've got questions about how to process high protein malt in your brew house, I know just where you should go. Head on over to community.mbaa.com where you'll find Ask the Brewmasters, the world's best technical brewing discussion forum. I hope you'll join me in Cleveland Friday, October 29th for something really special. I'll be doing a live interview with fan favorite Joe Hertrick as he receives the Master Brewers Distinguished Life Service Award. Joe has been educating brewers and maltsters for more than 50 years, and I can't wait to give conference attendees a glimpse into Joe's lifetime of service. If you still haven't registered for the conference, do it now and don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. I hope you'll join me on Thursday, October 28th in Cleveland for a live version of Ask the Brewmasters. Panelists include soon-to-be Master Brewers President Andy Tavikram from Market Garden Breweries, Travis Audette from Anheuser-Busch InBev, and Vinny Chilerzo from Russian River. If you haven't already registered for the conference, use the link in the show notes to register now. Can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop.